Hello and welcome to the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C., and with me today is Nathan Fox in San Francisco, or? No, I'm in Los Angeles. Okay, still in Los Angeles. I'm in L.A. I had a big celebrity sighting yesterday. Well, uh, have you ever watched The Wire, Ben? Uh, no. So it's not a big celebrity sighting for you, but for anybody who does watch The Wire or did watch The Wire, I think it was a pretty big celebrity sighting. I was in um, West Hollywood, just out kind of uh, for a walk, just cruising around, and I saw um, the dude who played Lieutenant Daniels in The Wire. He's also, I think he does commercials now for some insurance company. Um, anyways, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Daniels from The Wire. It was pretty awesome. I was, yeah. I was excited. He was getting into his Prius, though, um, which did not make him look very Lieutenant Daniels-esque. <laughs> That was my big did, celebrity sighting for the day. Yeah, that's cool. So did he recognize you from, you know, the, the vlog and everything? <laughs> the Thinking LSAT podcast. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. Came, he ran over and tried to get my autograph, and I was like, dude, <laughs> really, again? You're like, a Prius? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. So uh, speaking of the podcast, this is episode 50. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, did you think we were ever going to get here? Uh, I don't know. I pro- probably not. Like, if you had asked me at the very beginning, what do you think? Fifty episodes from now, I'd probably been like, "Whoa!" Yeah, totally. I don't know. But after it got going, it kind of makes sense, you know. Hundred the hundredth episode does not sound unreasonable at all. No, I I would be. I at this point, I think I would be surprised if we don't get to episode one hundred. Um, it's been super rewarding for me i don't know i mean i think it's it's really i tell people all the time it's like one of the most professionally rewarding things i've ever done so cool. yeah i mean so thank you ben for that like we we just sort of took a chance at it right it was like hey how about a an lsat podcast <laughs> we just we just kind of did it right yeah yeah and um I mean, it was it was your idea. I, I I didn't think I really listened to podcasts before uh, doing this. Maybe Tim Ferriss podcast a little bit, but um, the whole idea of listening to podcasts and let alone doing one was uh, something totally novel to me. So, <sighs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, oh that. well, sure. I'm. Uh, yeah. You know, I am like it's kind of the way I am. Is I, I just have a bunch of stupid ideas and just kind of try things and see what works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to business school. I don't know if people know that. I have an MBA and um, like the only thing I learned in business school was that any idiot can start a business. And so that's how I felt about this podcast. It was like, well, there's all these podcasts out there that I like there's some of them are really great and I, I really enjoy them as a listener. I really enjoy podcasts. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, I'm an idiot. Why can't I do it? So <laughs> just go ahead and do it. And yeah. No, it's that's it's, what I usually say to my class. You know, he's an <laughs> idiot. He can do it. Yeah. Um, you know, if anybody out there is like thinking of of starting their own business or starting their own podcast or whatever, it's like the the idea is is worth almost nothing. If the execution is all that really matters, and execution is really a matter of just just doing shit. You know, like just don't get so caught up in the details and as long as you don't like waste a bunch of money on it it's Mm -hmm. it's easier than you think a lot of times at least to get started you know we've had some hiccups right along the way there's been some 
technical difficulties and some frustrations and some bumps in the road. But um, overall, you know, I mean, like as far as cash investment in the project, what, we each bought a microphone? Yeah. <laughs> Buy an Ethernet yeah. cable so we can hardwire to the Internet to make the sound a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, we've paid for some, like, help editing and, and, um, and that kind of thing. But it's just podcast is is cool if you're an expert out there in anything and um you think you'd like to talk about it it's pretty easy to get to get started yeah just don't start an lsat podcast and compete with us please (laughs) yeah we'll just have to say how bad it is (laughs) yeah and we got our giant powerful audience behind us too so we could crush you um let's let's just do maybe the teaser agenda before we forget and then we'll get back into some of the stuff about the yeah yeah definitely so so the the plan today is to go over a couple questions from the june 2000 lsat um we're on questions 13 and 14 for those of you who have been following along that's in section two we'll jump into those uh and then we have a question from someone in my class emma who's wondering about whether she just took the december lsat uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, I guess, and she's trying to decide whether she should apply this year or wait until next year, um, given sort of application timing and so on. And then the last thing is some stats, I guess, that you have for us uh, as we look back over these 50 episodes, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to talk about that um, question from Emma about uh, whether to apply or not and talk about the stats on how many people are taking the LSAT these days. I think oh, that's yeah, be, yeah, that as well. That would be interesting. I think so, that's going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess that's it for the teaser agenda. Oh, I wanted to ask you, um, are you and the boys excited for Star Wars? Oh, yeah, for sure. So we, um, I guess the tickets went on sale a month ago or something. Okay. Uh, and it was all in the news. And so there was a moment of panic, like, these tickets are going to sell out. So as a it was momentary family panic, right? So I get online and I'm like, okay, we're going to get tickets. And I don't know what the panic was or the fa- maybe it's the fact that we picked like the second day or the third day <laughs> to get tickets, but there was I went into the theater app and it's all the seats were available except for like two. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> cool. I don't know if there really is a problem getting tickets, especially if you don't need to see it the first day, which we do not need to see it the first day. But, um, yeah, we bought the tickets for the family, which is so that's six tickets for us. But uh, ever since then, especially our oldest son, you know, talks to someone and says, I hear him telling his friends, oh, yeah, we're going to go see it. And we're going to see it on this day at this time. So I think it's a big deal to them. I'm excited. I feel like this is going to be a lot better than the, you know, the three ones that have, that came in between the original series. Yeah. So episodes, we'll see, I guess, but. Episodes one through three um, were pretty bad. Uh, episodes four, five, and six, that's the, the original three, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Those ones were awesome. And uh, yeah, this, this new one, episode seven, does look awesome. I have tickets as well. Uh, my roommates here in LA uh, and I are going to go on Saturday at 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. I've never been to a movie um, before noon. I don't think maybe I have once when I was a kid, seen like an 11:30 show or something. But um, movie at 8 a.m. Yeah, we just wanted to see it as soon as possible. One of my roommates 
he um, works in television and he is on Twitter all the time and stuff and he's really worried about getting spoiled on the movie so we just oh yeah we bought like no that's the, true yeah like what's up with Luke Skywalker we don't know yet yeah I can't believe like Luke be really died easy. in the beginning of the movie you know like <laughs> who knows what kind of bullshit people are gonna pull so um, yeah yeah it's uh, we're, we're going to see it early so that we can see it and so that we can be the ones that post all the spoilers to Twitter sure, instead yeah. of getting spoiled um, yeah it should be great um, the other Star Wars I mean we've been getting super excited about it because uh, we have Xbox here and we have the Star Wars Battlefront game that which okay. is like mm -hmm. a giant online multiplayer shooter game but it's set in the Star Wars universe okay if you would have shown this game to a 10-year-old Nathan Fox, I would be dead. I, my head would explode. I would, not, I would not be able to believe how awesome this new game is. Huh. Uh, let me just tell So how about this? It's a 20-on-20 multiplayer battle where 20 wow. of you are the rebels and 20 of you are the Empire, mm -hmm. and you're fighting the Battle of Hoth from Empire Strikes Back with those giant walkers. Yeah. And yeah. so 20 dudes from the Rebels are like trying to shoot down the walkers and 20 dudes from the Empire are trying to defend the walkers. You can that get cool. Yeah, you can get in tie fighters, you can get in speeders. You know that thing that they do where they they wrap the cable around the legs of the big giant walker? Yeah. You yeah. can do that. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> you you can get a power up on the battlefield. You can run across a paddle up, a power up, and it can turn yeah. you into Luke Skywalker, or it can turn you into Darth Vader. Wow! You run around force choking people. Um, <laughs> I mean, I do believe that's not the appropriate use of the force. <laughs> <laughs> it is when you're Vader. Yeah, I mean, when you're on the dark side. Yeah, of course. Um, anyhow, it, and it's uh, it it has the full on soundtrack this game has the full-on movie soundtrack wow and the full-on yeah. sound effects and everything so it's just like we've basically just got star wars going in our place like every day so huh. anyway yeah we're all pumped up for the uh for the movie you know they need they need lsat questions that sort of go into these topics i i know they're supposed to i've heard at least that there's certain rules that say they can't talk about abortion and stuff like that these sort of uh, hot button issues but they all veer towards like disease and cholesterol and you know plankton or whatever why not why not battles on on hoth yeah <laughs> totally yeah and why not like you know um darth vader is gonna choke out five of his <laughs> employees in a certain order <laughs> he hasn't decided yet what order to choke them out in yeah like that in the logic games why not why not maybe we should maybe we should write some um maybe we should write some star wars themed lsat stuff sure and we could get sued by both the lsac and disney <laughs> that that briefly reminds me when i was in uh college um well, this randomly started a website that had the word Bay in it, and um, eBay contacted me within like, and the person I was doing it with, within like a week. It was like a cease and desist. What? The word. Yeah. The word so, Bay? Yeah. It was in the name? Something yeah. Bay? Yeah. What? So, yeah, anyway, yeah, but uh, 
it's total total tangent there. I wow. digress. Did you but, decide you know, to? We, did you do it? Did you just say, "Yep, okay, fine. You got bigger budget than I do, so I'm switching." Uh, I don't know. The the website just this sucked anyway. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens. So yeah, we could get sued by LSAC, which would be good, and and uh, and Star Wars or whatever Lucas Films or yeah, I guess owns the probably that. Yeah, Disney. Um, Disney owns all the Star Wars IP now, so they would be oh, really? the ones okay. suing us, and they, I'm sure, pretty aggressively um, protect that, which yeah. makes sense. I had a yeah. buddy who just went to Disneyland, and he said that Disneyland is usually this time of year. It's uh, Disneyland is all dressed up in like Christmas stuff mm, mm. but apparently this year disneyland is all dressed up in star wars stuff like all of disneyland is just star wars out <laughs> <laughs> trying to get everybody maximum pumped up for the movie yeah cool um all right well i guess maybe we should get down to business here sure so <laughs> this won't be any star wars questions but the june 2007 LSAT, which you can search online for, just search June 2007, um, is an LSAT that LSAC has released. I feel like this is a slightly easier test. Have we ever talked about that before? Oh, wow. No. I... No. Uh-uh. Okay. Um, anyways, it's just a test that I feel like the games are comparatively easy, and um, I don't... It just seems like an odd test for them to have released. I feel like a lot of people take it. They do a few points higher than they do if they take any other test that at least is somewhat recent. So, huh. Wow. I had never thought about that. Um, that's interesting. I mean, maybe they're trying to not scare people off. It's their one yeah. free test that's distributed. Yeah. yeah. Um but this this uh, in this test in section two we're on question thirteen which is a logical reasoning question. Uh, Nathan, do you want to take a shot at reading this? Sure. Uh, standard aluminum soft drink cans do not vary in the amount of aluminum that they contain. Okay, fairly straightforward. I guess that just means any standard aluminum soft drink can has is the same. They all have the same amount of aluminum. Fine. Yeah, which I think is important there. I would I would translate that do not vary into the same. Like it doesn't kind of sink into my mind as well as oh, they have the same amount. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, that's one of those things where if you're not really reading critically or if you're not reading slowly, carefully, you can just sort of let yourself start to get clouded, you know? <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's almost like well, I'm going to wipe the fog off of the mirror right now and just translate that into something that's, you know, even if it's just a slightly little bit be little bit easier to understand, well, then that's better because we, we just can't let our, we can't let this kind of accumulate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so now, and we're also now talking about standard aluminum soft drink cans. So, like, tall boys don't count here we're only talking about the standard 12 ounce um oh wait they're talking about soft drinks anyway okay all right it's, it's 12 we're thinking I'm th i got the picture in my head of the 12 ounce you know coke can yeah um 50 of the aluminum contained in a certain group m 
of standard aluminum soft drink cans was recycled from another group, L, of used standard aluminum soft drink cans. Okay. Um, I guess it just organizes the information in my head there. Um, L is the donor group. Mm -hmm. And M is the recipient group. Yep. And we have no idea how big these two groups are. No. But we do know that half of the aluminum in the recipient group mm -hmm. came from the donor group. That's right. And that's really all we know. In my mind, I'm literally imagining can M sitting on the counter and the bottom half of it is made up of L. That's sure. what I'm thinking in my head. Yeah. And then and then how how do you have a picture of group L or not? No, not really. Yeah. Because like you said, we don't know how big it is. All I know is that in if I were to grab a can of M, half of it and it's going to be, of course, mixed, but just in my mind, I'm imagining half of it is made up of L, and the rest is coming from some other source. Unknown, yeah. Could, yeah. Could, be, could come from anywhere. It could be brand new aluminum, or mm -hmm. it could be recycled from some other group, or it could be recycled from several other groups. We mm -hmm. don't really care about that so much. What we care about is that half of that can, and yeah, you can picture the bottom half if you want, half of that can came from group L. Yeah. Okay. Since all the cans in L were recycled into cans in M, and since the amount of material other than aluminum in an aluminum can is negligible, those are both premises. There's two premises there at the beginning of that sentence. Yeah. It follows that M contains twice as many cans as L. Hmm. So I guess, I don't know, what do we do there? Unpack that last sentence a little bit. Yeah, got to break it down. Three different ideas. Sure. Um, they use the word, they, they use keywords there pretty generously, um, mm -hmm. which kind of makes sense because it'd be pretty hard to follow, I think, if they didn't. Um, so since introduces a premise, and they yeah. do that twice in the same sentence. So we have a premise now that says all the cans in L were recycled into M. Mm -hmm. Now, M has half, half of M is L. Yeah. But all of L went into M. Yeah, okay. all of the cans. <clears throat> all of the cans in L were recycled. That's the only use for them. They weren't recycled into anything else. They weren't, mm -hmm. you know, some of them weren't wasted or whatever. They All the cans went into the recycling machine that went into M and in the yeah. end we end up with half of M is made up of L. Mm -hmm. And since the amount of material other than aluminum in an aluminum can is negligible It follows that M contains twice as many cans as L. So what's the, what's the function then of that second premise in the last sentence? The second premise, the amount of material other than aluminum is negligible, is just saying that we only really need to worry about the aluminum. 
that's a little strong because even if it's negligible, it still might constitute some part of it. But I think it's basically saying all you have to worry about is the aluminum. And so half of it is aluminum from L and the other half is aluminum from somewhere else. Yeah. And but I, not like something else. You know, it's not like 10% of it is. Yeah. I see. I don't know. Right. And, but that applies to both group L and to group M, right? That, That's right. That yeah. essentially the, that the, these cans are just, we can, we can assume that they're just 100% um, aluminum. Yeah. Right. I mean, when they say it's negligible, I'm thinking that means virtually zero or approximately zero. Yeah. Now, I guess if I'm being really technical, I would say, well, negligible is still something. And it says it follows that M contains twice as many cans as L. You know, it's a, it's a really nitpicky thing to be going after, but it is a potential imperfection. No? Sure. I mean, like if I said that um, your body is made up of I know, it's, uh, water and whatever else it's made up of and, um, you know, it's, there's a, but there's a negligible amount of arsenic, you know, like, oh, I'm going to just put a negligible amount of arsenic in your body. Yeah. That, that negligible, I mean, it might be negligible in regard to how much of your body it composes, mm -hmm. but it could still be enough to kill you. Right. So yeah. it's like, okay, we have to remember this, but it's not, at least for the purposes of this, where, where we're just talking about the, the it's kind of like they're talking about the bulk of the can, right? Like how, yeah. like what's the can basically made up of? And um, so, okay, so it's maybe you just put a little pin in that and just kind of go, okay, I'm going to remember that, but it's not probably super important. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. And then the conclusion, it follows that M contains twice as many cans as L. Um, on the surface of it, that argument sounded pretty good to me. Like I, I was willing to buy that. Yeah. Um, until I scanned uh, the question stem. Yeah. Um, it just seems to make sense to me. If all the cans in group L were recycled into M, mm -hmm. and if group M is made up of 50% L, it yeah. must be made up of 50% other stuff. And so then if they're standard aluminum soft drink cans and they all have exactly the same amount of aluminum, it would seem like there must be twice as many cans in group M as there were in group L. I agree. It's very t that's very tight. It sounds tight to me. Mm -hmm. But then we get to the question stem and the question stem says, the conclusion of the argument follows logically if which one of the following is assumed. What type of question is that? So that's a sufficient assumption question. How do you know means, that? Hmm? How do you know that? How do you know that's a sufficient assumption question? Ah, well, so two reasons. One, it's not asking us for an assumption that's necessary or required. It says if it were assumed, not that it has to be assumed. And the second thing is that this could be a strengthening question if they didn't use the phrase follows logically. Um, if assumed and if true means the exact same thing. Uh, so, but because they said the conclusion of the argument follows logically, which just means must be true, this is more than a strengthening question. This is asking us for something that's not only going to help the argument, but also going to prove it. It's going to make the conclusion something that has to be true. Yeah. This is kind of one of those things that people have to memorize, I think, 
is that mm -hmm. this this question stem when it says the conclusion of the argument follows logically if which one of the following is assumed um, just you can go ahead and I mean you could even put that like on a flashcard and on yeah. the other side of it sufficient assumption um, another way of asking it would be like which one of the following if true would allow the conclusion to be properly drawn mm-hmm um, in fact, number 15 right here on the same, we'll get there in like a month. Number 15 on the same page here says, which one of the following is an assumption that would allow the conclusion above to be properly drawn? Yeah. That's another way of asking for the sufficient assumption. You can memorize that, and then when you, when you spot it that it's a sufficient assumption question, you, you're looking for a super strengthener, right? You're looking mm -hmm. for the one that forces the conclusion of the argument to be true. Yeah. Um, I already thought that the conclusion was true. Yeah. You know, but then when I see that they're telling you here that specifically there is one more thing that's missing, that if you put it in, it'll make it so that the conclusion is forced to be true. Yeah. Um, most of the time, I would be able to figure that out and predict it. Uh, sufficient assumption questions, I find them to be way easier than necessary assumption questions mm -hmm. because they're so predictable. You, you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I have noticed that they tend to be more commonly missed huh. uh, than necessary assumption questions. Uh, if you take a bunch of sufficient assumption questions and a bunch of necessary assumption questions, a higher percentage of people miss sufficient assumption questions. But I agree with you. It's something I think if you understand what you're looking for and what the goal of the question is, it's one that's actually easier than necessary assumption because necessary assumption is basically asking for anything that has to be assumed. And a lot of times the answers come out of left field. Right. And right. so I, I agree. I think they're easier, but for whatever reason, people tend to do worse on them. Yeah. It's bizarre. Um, you know, we were talking about, so to give you an example of that, we were talking about Star Wars, right? I'm super mm -hmm. excited about Star Wars. Uh, I got my tickets for Star Wars. Um, I got nothing to do on Saturday morning. Um, the movie theater is just, you know, three miles away down Sunset in LA. So therefore, I'm going to Star Wars on Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There are, in that one argument, there are infinite necessary mm -hmm. assumptions. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have necessarily assumed is that I am not going to get eaten by a Sharknado on Friday. That's right. Right? Or the aliens are going to come down. You're assuming that they're not going to come down and split the world in half between you and the movie theater. Yeah. I have, I have assumed that um right that a that a monster is not going to come out of the center of the earth and you know and devour the movie theater um it's like it's 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 it, but that's so strange that that we that we call that a something that has been necessarily assumed in the argument mm -hmm. this is kind of an lsat technicality that people don't really you know, I don't really grasp it. the the semantics of it. Don't really don't really capture um, what's actually happening. I think. Mm -hmm. But the reason why all of those horror stories are 
you know, we have necessarily assumed that none of those are going to happen. Those are necessary because if they did happen, then it would ruin my conclusion that I'm going to get to see Star Wars on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I find them to be, it's harder to predict the answers before you get into the answer choices because the makers of the test, uh, you know, they don't usually come up with space aliens and monsters and sharknadoes and things like that, but <laughs> they do come up with unforeseen problems, right? Unforeseen weakeners. Yeah. That, if true, would ruin the argument, and so then there is a necessary assumption that defends against those weakeners. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard before you get into the answer choices to predict necessary assumption questions. Sufficient assumption questions, on the other hand, are super predictable. It's take the evidence that you have on the page and then build a bridge directly to the conclusion that's also already on the page. Mm -hmm. Right? It's just... It's, it's like, which one of these one things, if added to the existing evidence, makes it so that the conclusion is forced to be true? Yeah. Um, this question seems to be a bit of an exception, though, because neither you nor I really spotted a big gap in the argument. Yes. Um, that's true. So what would you do at this point? Well, I, I mean, I think I would at least try. You know, I would, I would re... I would, I would kind of reread it, I think, looking to see if there was a gap between premises or a gap between the premises and the conclusion. Mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time like being authentic about the way I talk about this question at this point because I kind of know what the answer is. I've, I've seen the question before or I've seen the question too many times. So yeah. it's difficult for me to say whether I would predict it or not at this point. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I'm like, I have to recuse myself from this question because right. I know the answer. And so it's biasing me. And I can't remember what I thought the first time yeah. I did it. But I do remember a question from test 74 or 75, which are fairly recent tests. When they came out, this exact same thing happened to me. And it was a sufficient assumption question. And I had gotten to the end and I thought, okay, this sounds good. And then it's sufficient assumption. And I thought, okay. Apparently it's not good. Right. And so I went back and it was one that was kind of like this. It was long, but it was a bunch of if then statements that linked together. And when I went back, it was right in the first, it was between the first if then statement and the second one. I see. There was a small change. Yeah. And I was so glad I went back because I was like, well, I knew there had to be a leap somewhere and here's the leap. Now let's go find the answer that connects these two ideas. And then, and then you find the awesome thing about that is that you find exactly what you're looking for, right? It's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, boom, there's exactly the answer. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm, I'm thinking maybe on this one we just pretend that we don't kind of know what the answer is and, go and, sure. and just say, okay, so most of the time on a sufficient assumption question, we're going to know exactly what the answer is before we even look at answer choice A. Mm -hmm. But here... Um, let's just say that we didn't see it. Um, in that case, I would be looking for the one that helps the argument the most. Yep. Um, that's it. I'm looking for the best strengthener. You know, if I was building this case, if I was writing a brief, which one of these would I like to put into my brief because it helps me to prove that uh, group M has twice as many cans as group L? And I would... I would like to clarify too that 
the correct answer is going to do exactly what you said. It's going to strengthen the answer the most, or the sorry, the conclusion the most. Yeah. But it's also going to reveal a problem, right? Like there's a we feel like this argument is good. We feel like the conclusion is proven by the evidence that it flows from it. But apparently it doesn't. And so the correct answer should strengthen that conclusion, prove it, but also clue us into something that we didn't see before. So we should say, oh, yeah, this is important to know because without this, there might be a gap in the argument. Yeah, that's a good point. That it should it should kind of be like a little bit like satisfying, like we're because because we sh- we were we're puzzled at this point, right? Like, wait, what? There was something missing. Yeah. So the correct answer here is going to be like, a, oh, right, oh, okay, yeah. I guess they didn't say that. They they needed to say that. It makes the argument better if they say that. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. All right. So answer choice A says. The aluminum in the cans of M, that's the recipient group, the aluminum mm-hmm. in the cans of M cannot be recycled further. What do you think? I would say this is wrong because we don't care about what's going to happen in the future. All we care about is that L was recycled into M. M is now twice as, has twice as many cans as L. Whether M can be recycled further or not seems irrelevant. Yeah, um, right. Who who cares? We're we're talking. To, we're, all we want to know is the L to M step. But we're not really worried about the M to anything else step. So what? Yep. B. Recycled aluminum is of poorer quality than unrecycled aluminum. Hmm. Um. Okay. This. <laughs> I. It. It. Actually, think this might be somewhat relevant because it's a if it's of poorer quality then maybe you can't maybe you can't use all of it or something like that but if anything this hurts the argument right um oh right because if they were trying to do like a 50 percent, therefore twice as many cans Mm -hmm. um i guess if it said poorer quality or better quality those would both be weakeners right yeah to be a strengthener, or it would have to say the same quality. Yeah. Really, all, all B would do is, is undermine the argument, even if it said greater quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's not B. Yep. C, all of the aluminum in an aluminum can is recovered when the can is recycled. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is This is the answer. Yeah. So... And does it satisfy you? I mean, you, it's like, oh, right, they're, that's, they're, they didn't actually say that. Yeah, so if we go back to that premise, which is the beginning of the last sentence, it says, since all the cans in L were recycled into cans in M, we read that and interpret that to say that all of the aluminum in L was recycled into M, but that's not necessarily true. All we know is that every can in L was recycled into M, but not all of the can in L might have been recycled or recyclable. Yeah, yeah if uh, 10% of the aluminum is lost when you recycle a can, which, mm-hmm. by the way, you know, I mean, very likely is true, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know, but I would assume it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if there is some loss in the recycling process, then it wouldn't necessarily follow that there's twice as many cans in group M as in group L. Yeah. Because some of group L, some of the aluminum in group L would have been lost. So C was something that was definitely implied by the argument. Um, C is something that is, I, I think it's, is it necessary? I guess suppose it's not, ne- yeah, it might be necessary and sufficient. Here. I think it is. And that's yeah. another thing that I think confuses people sometimes because they may be doing a sufficient assumption question and the correct answer is both sufficient and necessary at the same time. Yeah. And so then when they they think about it and they're like, oh yeah, that has to be true. They've just kind of taught themselves that a, ne- a sufficient assumption question is looking for something that's necessary because of the the way they're looking at the answer choice, which is, yeah, it is necessary, but that's not why it's correct. Yeah. Um, assumptions can be both necessary and sufficient simultaneously, right? Conditions mm-hmm. can be necessary and sufficient simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've been thinking recently that I need to start teaching assumption questions a little bit differently, I think. Okay. Um, because... Uh, you know, I, it is really important that people know the difference between sufficient and necessary assumptions. Mm-hmm. If I ever talk to a student who's at 160 or 165 and they're like, you know, they're stuck on the logical reasoning and they can't figure out why they're get, not getting better, um, yeah. over half the time it's because people don't know the difference between necessary and sufficient assumption questions. I mean, yeah. I, it's just, it's shocking because there's so many of them, right? There's a lot of sufficient assumption questions and there's also a lot of necessary assumption questions. Yeah. And when you get into the harder ones, um, you really have to know the difference because they will have a sufficient assumption question with wrong answers that are necessary but not sufficient. Yeah. And they'll have necessary assumption questions with wrong answers that are sufficient but not necessary. Yeah. But on the earlier, easier questions, we see a lot of questions that look like this where the correct answer is actually both a sufficient and a necessary assumption of the argument. And you can get it right without even knowing really the difference between those two question types. Yeah. So not it's it's confusing, but I'm I've been thinking about uh, trying to come up with a way of teaching it where the first thing I teach is just sort of like assumption means missing piece, we're looking mm-hmm. for the one that will help the argument. You know, which one of these would we like to put into our brief because it helps the argument. And and, and then as a as a secondary concern, like if you have two answers and you can't decide, then get into the analysis of, well, is this a necessary assumption question or is it a sufficient assumption question? Yeah. Because um, I think you could go wrong here by reading this, oh, this is a sufficient assumption question. Mm -hmm. Then you look at C and you go, oh, well, but that's a necessary assumption. Yeah. And then you go, oh, well, because it's a necessary assumption, therefore it's wrong. Well, no. The fact that it's a necessary assumption doesn't make it right or wrong because you can be necessary and sufficient at the same time. Yeah, well, what what I'm also worried about is people seeing it and not even realizing that it's necessary on um, like a, on a, uh, what am I trying to say here? They, They don't recognize that as necessary. They just they just intuitively recognize that that's necessary, but they don't have the right word for it. So they don't label it as necessary in their head. They just think, oh, yeah, that's something that needs to be true, they may think to themselves, yeah. and then define that as a sufficient assumption. Right, right. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a complicated technicality. I have a feeling that like we've lost a bunch of our audience with this last discussion. As much as it, I, I think it's actually really important and really useful. Um, but it might be the kind of thing that um, only the LSAT teachers in our audience actually understand the thing that we were just talking about, or only like our kind of higher achieving students. Um, yeah, we're understanding it. This sometimes takes a few different examples, right? If you're working with a student on this issue, you might need to go through a handful of examples, right? Until they actually, until it actually clicks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, one thing I do in the, my materials is I actually quote you, um, uh-huh. and your, your name is in there for the, the, you know how you like to say that it, for a sufficient assumption, if it's true, then the argument wins. Yep. And for a necessary assumption, if it's false or not true, then the, the argument completely loses. Yep. So that's one thing I quote you on. Good. Um, some other things I've experimented with class in class, and I haven't done recently. I thought I'd maybe just throw them out to you, see what you think of them, and maybe they'll be helpful in terms of people who are listening. Um, one thing I'll do is I'll draw on the board like an argument is basically a premise plus another premise plus another premise leads to a conclusion right like you add those premises together and then those are supposed to prove the conclusion okay and what the lsat is doing in these assumption questions is it's it's writing that argument out and then erasing one of those premises yeah an assumption is just an unstated premise it's an unstated it's a piece of evidence that was not said right it was left yeah. out of the argument yeah so you take that premise you erase it and i fill that in with an empty box okay and a necessary assumption is something that absolutely needs to be true so it might start to fill up that box it might even fill up that box all the way but it won't go beyond that box because once you go beyond that box you're now saying things that are no longer necessary yeah Whereas a sufficient assumption will fill up that box or overfill it because it can be more than enough, but it does have to be enough. It has to fill in everything that was left out of the argument and potentially more. Yeah. So that's one thing I try to, you know, throw at the, (laughs) throw on the wall and hopefully that sticks for some people. Um, The other thing I'll do, any thoughts on that? Oh, I like it. I mean, I think that... um, it's crossing my mind that like you could use math like very basic arithmetic problems Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to to prove this example like um you know two plus blank equals four right Mm -hmm. two plus blank equals four yeah um obviously everyone goes two and yes that's true if if the blank equals two then the conclusion of the argument is proven Mm-hmm. Um, it, <clears throat> but for a sufficient assumption question, it could be like blank equals two and is the color red. Okay. Right. Some additional information. Right. Which that's like you're that's overfilling the box. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And but if they were asking you a sufficient assumption question, it would be like, well, sure, a red two that'll do it. 
right? That's fine. Yeah. I don't care if it's a red two and a giant two, you know, and an italics two and a whatever. Yeah. It's like as long as it's a two, then that's going to prove the conclusion. Yeah. Um, so that would be a necessary, or so that would be a sufficient assumption of the argument. Um, but none but of that. But not necessary. Right. It doesn't have to be red. Right. It doesn't have to be red. It doesn't have to be italics. It doesn't have to be bold. It doesn't have to be any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, like to just put something necessary in that box would be like um, blank is not three. Yeah. Blank is not a million. Mm-hmm. Um, blank is not the letter Z or yeah. something like that. You know, um, And those would all be necessary because mm-hmm. if they were false, if the blank was a million, well, then the answer is no longer four. Yeah. Um, cool. But but there is one answer that's both necessary and sufficient, which is the first answer that everybody comes up with, which is two. Yeah. Right? If it is two, then the correct answer, four, is proven. The argument is valid. It's sufficient. But if the blank is not two, then how can two plus blank equal four if the blank isn't two? Mm-hmm. So there's an example. That's actually, I, I mean, I could do that. I, that's pretty easy, actually, to teach, I think. Yeah. Um to okay well i like that then because then you get to show people that here's here's an assumption that's both necessary and sufficient or here's an assumption that would just be necessary and here's an assumption that would just be sufficient Mm -hmm. so you can see the difference anyway for number 13 i think c is just necessary and sufficient yeah sorry you were going to go on more about that oh yeah so i had this i have one other one hopefully you know if someone is uh if some of our listeners are grappling with this, maybe this will help as well. Okay. Um, I tell my students, I say, hey, imagine that um, you're going to a party. And to get into this party, you need $10 and a plaid shirt. Okay. That's that. That's it. So that's all you need. And if you have it, you'll get in. Right. So it's both necessary and sufficient. Okay. And so then I start throwing out random stuff at them. I say, so someone shows up and they have $10, but they don't have a plaid shirt. And I say, is this necessary, sufficient, neither or both? Right? Okay. And so in in this case, well, what would you say that is? If they just showed up with $10? If they just showed up with $10, uh, that is necessary because you have to have 10 bucks to get into the party. But if you didn't tell me that they didn't have a plaid shirt, if you just said, oh, they have 10 bucks, mm-hmm. I would say that's necessary, but it's not sufficient because we don't know if they have the plaid shirt. Yeah. Now, what if we say they don't have the plaid shirt? If they say they don't have the plaid shirt, um, well, that's then they're screwed. I mean, they're not getting in. They're uh, not getting in. But would yeah. you say it's still necessary? I guess I would define that as they have what's necessary, even though it's not sufficient oh. to get them in. Wait, oh, well, the $10 is still necessary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the not having the plaid shirt means they're screwed. So yeah. they have a necessary thing, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, they're, they're still not getting into the party. Yeah. So then I say something like, oh, they show up with the $10, they show up with the plaid shirt, and a fish. Whoa. Crazy party. Um, <laughs> but it's different that, every time. Yeah, so... The $10 and the plaid shirt are necessary, but the fish is not necessary. So if you take all that together, $10 plaid shirt fish, mm-hmm. that is not necessary. 
Not necessary. But right? it is sufficient because $10 yes. plaid shirt, part of it gets them into the party, and then I don't give a shit what else they have. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, and so then sometimes I'll say something like um, they have $20 and no plaid shirt. Uh, yeah, the let's see. So none of that is necessary. I mean, the the I guess part of their $20 is $10, and that is yeah. necessary. Yeah. So they have achieved one of the necessary conditions, but $20 is not necessary. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and then they don't have the shirt, so they're not sufficient. So it's like neither, right? I guess. Right. I don't know. I mean, it could be too abstract, but just trying to get people wrapped around the idea of necessary is everything you need or less whereas sufficient is everything you need or more yeah that makes sense uh-huh yep one of the things i say sometimes is like i'm trying to you know we're trying to prove the conclusion of the argument is nathan is going to be here tomorrow to teach his lsat class mm-hmm. right or something or no we're trying to prove that nathan is alive okay mm-hmm. conclusion nathan is alive yeah um one thing that's necessary is Nathan's head is attached to his body, mm-hmm. right? Because at least in this century, right? Yes. Um, I watched uh, Ex Machina last night. Have you seen that? Oh my goodness! That that movie scared the living daylights out of me. Oh, I don't so know great. why. <laughs> so creepy. I saw it in the theater. So great. Oh, you did. Nice. Yeah. Did you? Did you, were you? Did it leave you with an eerie feeling at the end? Um, I no, it made me <laughs> delighted. I mean, I was so happy that they didn't. Well, wait, spoilers. That's eh, an old movie. It's it's been out for a year. Um, <laughs> close your ears if you want to see Ex Machina. And you should see it. <laughs> you should see it totally. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'll just leave it. I loved the ending. I loved the ending. Oh, was, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was a wonderful movie. And when I look at some of the reviews, like on Amazon, it gives it four stars. I'm just like, I don't know what's going on with these people. But um, I mean, that's just the average, you know. But I felt like it was an awesome movie. I thought the ending was awesome. But it just, well, I thought it was awesome partly because of the feeling it left me with. It just like, oh my gosh, that is just. For some reason, I just really got into that guy's head. So I was, <laughs> I felt like I was that guy. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah, uh, that was a great one. That's uh, the best movie probably that I saw in 2015. I would say was uh, Ex Machina. I just saw it last night. Yeah, hmm. fantastic. So sorry, it was a tangent there. A little no, bit. but that's got the full thinking else at recommendation. I like that. Yeah, yeah. everybody should <laughs> should see that movie. It was awesome. Um, anyways, you know, it's if I'm trying, we're trying to prove that Nathan is alive. Then it's necessary that his head is attached to his body. Why? Because if his head is not attached to his body, then he's definitely dead. Yeah. That's like the definition of necessary. I like mm-hmm. that one I have found sticks with students sometimes because it's so graphic or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, like it, it, a necessary condition is the one that if you chop it off, then the argument dies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but is it sufficient? If my head is attached to my body, do we know for sure that I'm alive? No, I mean, I fully intend to die with my head still attached to my body. So it's not, you know, just having your head attached to your body is not going to prove that you're alive. But if your head is not attached to your body, then you're definitely dead. That's kind of the difference. And then for sufficient, it's like, um, if Nathan is in front of you right now teaching the LSAT class, mm-hmm. then is Nathan alive? Well, again, yeah. In this century, yeah. 
-hmm. If you see Nathan in front of you, you know, swearing a lot and teaching the LSAT class, then you know that he is alive. So mm -hmm. it's sufficient. If Nathan's there teaching the LSAT class, then it's sufficient information to prove that Nathan is definitely alive. But is it necessary? No. No, definitely not. You could... You don't have to be teaching to be alive. Right. I mean, I could have, I could be in a drunken stupor somewhere and have not made it to my class. I could be, I could have been abducted by aliens and still be alive. I could be, there could be any number of places where I am, not in the LSAT class, and I could still possibly be alive. Mm -hmm. so there's like a, you know, it's, it's a tangible um, example. It's not really an argument. I like your, I like your example quite a lot. I might steal that um, with your permission. Oh, yes, you have my permission. And Great. I hope I have yours for you. You're already in the materials, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, well, what do you think? We about done with this one? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. I mean, I guess there's D and E. We could just quickly get rid of those. Sure. D says, and, and by the way, you know, uh, listeners, we really will always read all five answer choices. Um, we're not doing this for show. Uh, having found the correct answer, I'm going to have even less respect for D and E that I, that I would have originally. Mm -hmm. um, but I will always look at D and E because there are, boy, there's so many examples of, of ones where I thought I had found the answer and then there's another answer that just jumps off the page at me and then it's like, oh shit, uh, whoops, uh, yeah. must have missed something and then I have to compare them. So I don't think that's going to happen here, but let's just go through D and E. Yeah. Um, D says... None of the soft drink cans in Group L had been made from recycled aluminum. Yeah. Kind of like A, huh? A's yeah. talking about what's happening like downstream, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. D's talking about what happened upstream, like before Group L. Yeah. But what's, who gives a shit, you know? Um, you'd, you'd be helping D a lot if you were going to try to make a case for D as the right answer. Yeah. Right? You'd be like, you'd all, it's almost like you would, um, well, you'd have to assume the opposite of C or something. Like, you'd have to say, like, well, yeah, because, you know, when you recycle cans, there's some loss or something. I don't know. It just, it, uh, it'd be hard to see how D would be a sufficient assumption of the argument. Yeah. And then E says... Aluminum soft drink cans are more easily recycled than are soft drink cans made from other materials. What do you think? Um, sorry, I just, I wasn't listening to you, to be honest. <laughs> I'll reread it. <laughs> and I have it here right in front of me. So, uh, but yeah, go ahead. So, alum aluminum soft, soft drink, cans. drink cans are more easily recycled than our soft drink cans made from other materials. Oh yeah, I don't think I don't see how how easily they're recycled has any effect on how much aluminum gets into cans and and how this even relates to other materials at all. Right. It could be the easiest thing in the world. It could be the hardest thing in the world. It has no bearing on the argument. We just yeah. don't We just don't give a shit. So the answer for number 13 is C. C. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, back to the agenda. What's next? Uh, so I apologize, but what that question or something you said reminded me of, I just started reading the uh, Power Score Logical Reasoning Bible okay. again the other day. Um, 
I was just, I can't remember what I was thinking about. I, I was just curious what, how they had presented it. And I came across this discussion. And I think this reminds me of th- some of the things that make me a little bit uneasy about that book. I'm not saying it's a bad book. I think it's uh, it's got a lot of good information in it. But um, it the author likes to make sort of these broad universal claims that I don't necessarily think are true. And so I was actually just wondering what you thought of this. One of the things that he said was that every argument makes assumptions. And my immediate response was, well, no, not if it's an airtight argument, which we sometimes see. Am I, maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, Right. I, yeah, I would, I would say if there were any uncertainty, if the conclusion of the argument, because sometimes the conclusion of the argument is proven, right? Yeah. Like if they say um, A equals B, B equals C, therefore A equals C, that, there's no assumptions in that argument. Yeah. I, I mean, and sometimes they do have arguments that, that are like that. Or if A, then B, if B, then C, therefore if A, then C. That's the most common argument that you're going to see on the LSAT. Yeah. And that's a valid argument, and that's a proven argument. And I don't think there are any necessary assumptions in that argument, because that argument just can't possibly be false. Yeah. Right? The definition of a necessary assumption is one that, if false, will make the argument fail. Yeah. But you can't make that argument fail. So, yeah, I I don't think it's correct to say that every argument contains assumptions. Now... You know, give them to give them a little bit of credit. I mean, most of the arguments that you'll see on the LSAT do have uh, uncertainty in them, mm-hmm. and I think it might be correct to say that if there is any uncertainty in the argument, then there are assumptions in the argument, right? Because every weakener can be phrased as a necessary assumption. Mm-hmm. That's probably the point that they were trying to get at, right? That that if if I say A causes B there are a million alternate causes. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there are a million necessary assumptions that defend against those alternate causes. Yeah, which I actually totally agree with. Like, I, yeah. I could see myself saying, and well, I just said this last night in class, I said that almost all arguments on the test are messed up for some reason. And if you're nodding your head and smiling, you are probably missing something. So I, I guess I agree with that mentality. I just... As an LSAT instructor, and I'm assuming, you know, this book is written by someone who is as well, I just would be so hesitant to use these absolute terms, which I think then people run with, you know? Yeah. um, I don't love that book either. Um, I do think, you know, when, when people, sometimes people sign up for my class and then they, my class doesn't start until, you know, January 5th. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And I don't have a class running right now, but. Um, I'll, I'll, um, they'll say, I have a stack of LSAT books. You know, is there anything I can do before the class starts? And if they have the PowerScore Logic Games Bible, I'll say, oh, by all means, do that entire book before class starts. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's, it's going to be helpful. Yeah. But when they say, I have the PowerScore Logical Reasoning Bible, I say, uh... Okay, there's some good stuff in there, mm-hmm. but um, I have I have a couple problems. Like one is, and the biggest problem I think is just 
I'm worried that they're going to get so caught up in the technicalities mm-hmm. that they're going to lose sight of the, the main thing, which is just, you know, argue, understand what's in the arguments, read critically, read skeptically, fight back kind of thing, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I think when you get so caught up in all of the super technicalities, then you can lose, lose sight of that very important fact. And I think that um, that book and many of the other books on logical reasoning let people fall into that trap. Yeah. Um, to a lesser extent, you know, the imperfections or the things that are not 100% accurate all the time, it's a little bit disturbing, but I don't know. I mean, I've written now five LSAT books and a sixth one on the way, and I guarantee there are errors in there. It just you can't write that many words without fucking it up sometimes. Yeah, so. I guess. I mean, that in, in itself is not such a big deal either. If someone thought that were true, I don't know how that would necessarily affect their analysis of arguments. You know? Yeah, you know, they're they're, they're like skeptical. looking for assumptions and being skeptical. Yeah, right. It's not like the world's worst thing. I guess I'm just. I feel like that's something I've encountered before in that book with. Like, if the LSAT says a causal thing, then it's saying it's the only thing that causes that. And I'm thinking, no, there are actually answers that say the other way. I, I'm going to look that up right after we're done with this because I, I still remember that and thinking, no. And so I, I've had that reaction a few times reading through that book, and I feel like people can take these little thoughts away that could actually affect, you know, which answers they choose and so on. Yeah, that other one, we talked about that a couple episodes ago, that causal, that causation one. I mean, Mm -hmm. that one is disturbing. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's almost exactly wrong. Yeah. Right? Um, Anyway. So to be fair, I I, I better look that up again just to double check and make sure exactly the context in which it was said. But yeah, yeah, I'm going to look that up. Okay. Should we do another one, or should we just go no. into the next question? Oh, yeah. Let's live to fight another day. We're already over an hour, and we have some other cool stuff to talk about, so I think we should move on. <laughs> How can we talk about a question for 30 minutes? I hope <laughs> well, we've done it on, like, almost every time <laughs> we've talked about a logical reasoning question. So it's because for, we're nerds, Ben. That's, that's, for the five that's of how. you who are still listening, we have a, <laughs> yeah. a question from... from uh, my, one of my former students who uh, just took the test and she wrote this email and said, hey, look, uh, I have a question about applying. I'm trying to decide whether to apply this year, and this is just after the December LSAT, so it's mid-December, or next year. I'll get my LSAT score on January 5th, so in a couple weeks. And she possibly basically earlier. has everything. Possibly earlier, right? Possibly earlier, yeah. That's we the announced it. date, right? But it's possibly earlier. It's usually earlier than whatever date they announce. It's usually earlier. Yeah, that's true, for sure. And it comes usually in an email, and the score is in your email, so that's always fun. Um, And she says she could get everything ready by basically mid-January, and she knows that the deadlines for most schools that she's looking at are around March 1st. So she could definitely apply this year. But she says, I've been inundated with the, quote, it's better to apply early advice. So I'm wondering if it is better uh, or even advised to apply in mid-January this year or to wait until next year and apply basically early in September. She says that if she does apply next year or if she decides to do that, she's going to take the LSAT again in February because she thinks she's going to keep, 
she's likely to gain a few points, um, if that matters. And yeah, I think it does. So long story short, should she apply this year or wait until early next year? In other words, apply kind of latish this year or early next year. What are your thoughts? Um, If her LSAT score comes back at a level that she's happy with and she's not retaking it, then I would say absolutely go ahead and throw in your applications this year. Um, The admissions deadlines have been getting pushed back. Um, I don't like to think about the deadlines. We definitely don't want people applying at the deadlines or even close to the deadlines. Uh, And it used to be the case I would have advised people not to apply after the December LSAT. I would have definitely said, no, no, uh, you want to wait and apply early uh, in the next cycle. But um, this time around, um, this year, uh, you know, even Anne Levine has said she's not worried at all about people applying with December LSAT scores. I have many students who are going to apply with their December LSAT score. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't see why she shouldn't apply. One thing, by the way, I kind of glossed over here a little bit, and that is uh, she's really interested in getting financial aid, Mm. uh, merit scholarships, things like that. Does that change your opinion in any way? Well, you know, the earlier you apply – Generally speaking, the earlier you apply, the better your scholarship offers are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, the earlier you apply, the more opportunity you have to get competing offers and put yourself in a better bargaining position. And yeah, people who apply earlier end up getting, they just end up getting better deals um, frequently. But I also have seen people apply in January and get full rides. So, you know... The one thing that I would always say to people applying, no matter when you're applying, but especially if you're applying late, is to just steal yourself in advance and decide that if you don't get an offer that is that you feel you know is um, a good enough offer, walk away. You can always reapply. Yeah. I don't think for her. I don't think that this has to be an either or. Um, if she's, if she's done, if the December LSAT comes back where she wants it and she's ready to apply, then okay, apply. But just you should be able to use the LSAC, um, you know, LSAT GPA calculator thing and get an idea of what your value is in the marketplace. And if you're applying to a school where you're at the 75th percentile in LSAT and GPA um, and they don't give you money, one, ask them for money. Then if they still say no, then I would consider reapplying at the beginning of the next cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, people always think like, ooh, does that look bad? I don't think it looks bad at all. I think if anything, it looks good. Isn't that like a lawyerly thing to do? To apply again? Be yeah. Persistent? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea, actually. Um, how that Certainly if they didn't let you in one year and you apply again the next year, that shows them that you're interested, right? Yeah. And, and I don't think there's anything at all wrong with that. I mean, odds are they're not even going to remember, but if they do, it's only going to be a point in your favor, I think. As yeah. far as the negotiation part goes, isn't it? It's a lot like going in, looking at a car, 
not being happy with the price, walking off the lot. And if you come back tomorrow, you know, they know you're serious. But they also know that you are going to insist on getting a good price. Yeah. That's interesting. I'd, I'd be really curious to see what Anne has to say because let's take a scenario where you apply this year. Uh, they give you an offer. They say, hey, yeah, you can come to our school, but they don't give you any scholarship money. So you say, okay, you walk away from that, like you're saying, and then you come back next year. Uh, I think they would remember in the sense, I'm sure your application is probably flagged in some way, right? I think you actually have to say in your application, have you applied to this university before for law school and you say yes or no? I yes. Yes. That. Yeah, there no there is a checkbox. I just don't know, you know, what what if anything they do with that. That is a good question for Anne. Let me put it on the list right now. So then when someone's looking at your application they're like, "Well, we accepted this person last year and they said no." I wonder if that would make them worried about their yield or something like that. You know, like, okay, this person is interested, but they said no last year. Are they going to say no again this year? Should we offer them money, or should we just not deal with them? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, it. I think that the yield thing is a bit overblown. I just can't imagine schools really denying very many qualified applicants <laughs> because of yield concerns. I mean... The fact that someone is submitting an application means that they're interested somewhat. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you decide who to who to dismiss on yield only? I suppose if you ask them how many schools did you apply to, and they say fifty, yeah, then uh, that might obviously be a like, well, okay, you got forty nine other options. You're probably not going to pick us, so we're just going to deny you to try to protect our yield. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, if someone is applying with really strong, can't really a really strong application, are you really going to deny them because you're like, oh well, this person's out of our league? Yeah. I mean, they're applying. That's Especially like the hot chick comes decision. and talks to you in the bar, and you're like, oh, you're super hot, but you're out of my league, so I'm just gonna move <laughs> along, sweetie. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> not gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know. It does just seems like nonsensical to me. Yeah. One thing I would tell her to do, and this is what I said when I wrote back to her, is I would take the test in February no matter what. If she feels like she's going to gain a few points, even if she's already applied to places, and she says, no, 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 just go ahead and review my application with the December LSAT, that's fine. Um, who knows what can happen? They may not have accepted her by the time the February score comes out, and if she's gone up a few points, that could tip the balance. She can or, say, hey. Yeah, or they did accept her, and they gave her a mediocre scholarship offer yeah and she, she hasn't she hasn't yet signed you know she hasn't yet started sending them money because mm -hmm. um, that's what they'll do immediately right is try to start getting their hooks in you by making you pay deposits yeah and she could absolutely turn around and say hey you know i did retake the lsat um and i scored four points higher um thank you for the scholarship offer but <laughs> is there any you know could you re you know, could you re, what is the wording? I don't know. Could you reconsider your scholarship yeah. offer based yeah. on, you know, in light of my new higher LSAT score? Because they know that if you have four points higher LSAT score, then you're now a much better candidate than you were before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, that's, I mean, all my advice to her about applying this year was predicated on the assumption that 
if you're done taking the LSAT. Mm. But if she thinks that she can score higher, then I would always say, absolutely, why not retake it and try to score a few points higher? And if you're in no rush to go to law school, which I don't think anyone should be in a rush to go to law school, mm-hmm. um, why not take the test again in February? You might still, you know, that might help you get in it, it, this year or get a better offer this year. Or if not, by all means, just wait and then reapply at the very beginning of the next cycle and then you'll be really in the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there have been some, this kind of relates to this next point, which is that there have been some news articles that have said that the drop in law school applicants is reversing. And I think that these articles kind of portray this as the beginning of the end, that things are now going to start <laughs> so stupid. Uh, fixing themselves. But let's let's talk about that data. You made some interesting points here. So if you if you search for LSAT data, if you just Google that, you'll come to a link that's it's lsac.org and if you click on that's the first result. It just says data law school admission council. If you click on that and then scroll down to tests administered, you can see how many people take the LSAT every year and also how many people took it in June, how many people took it in September and October. Um, Just looking at this year's data, uh, just to give you a big picture sense here actually, last year, the 2014 to 2015 cycle, 101,000 people took the LSAT. Um, And then this year, so far, uh, we've seen 23,000 in June, and 33,000 in uh, the October test. So, Nathan, these numbers are up from last year, right? But what is what are your thoughts on this? Right, so it's, they, they, they break it down you know, further than that. They show you the percentage uh, changes from um, quarter to quarter. Mm-hmm. So the June test was up 6.6% from last year, and the September-October test was up 7.4% from last year. And yeah, journalists are stupid and lazy. And I can say that because I have a master's in journalism. And um, What other degrees do you have, by the way? That's so- it, dude. MBA, master's in journalism, JD. None of okay. them do really anything for me. Um, really, I'm, don't go to graduate school, people, unless you really are, like, if you are just compelled to be a lawyer and you can't sleep at night unless you're a lawyer, then okay, go to, go to law school. But otherwise, just don't waste your time and money and go do actual work. Anyway, um, the thing with journalists, I mean, it's just the, the easy story to write or the people who don't understand data, I guess, or the people who are, it's just, God damn it, people are so focused on what happened yesterday. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like it happens in sports too, right? Like your team wins one game and it's like, hey, all right, we're on a streak now, one in a row, yeah, you know? We've won 100% of our last game. <laughs> I was like, right, uh-huh. And you were 0-10 in the, first, in the 10 before that. I mean, here's the deal, right? You can tell the story that the September-October test is up 7.4% over last year. Mm-hmm. Woo, yay, applications are increasing. Or another way of looking at, at that is um, in 1987-1988, there were 36,000 people that took the test in the September-October mm-hmm. test. Yeah. And 
in 2015, 2016, there's only 33,000. Um, there's only one lower number on this entire list than 33,000, and that was last year's 30,000. Yeah. Um, if you look at the broader, you know, if you if you look at the broader trend, it's pretty clear that the applications are still way, way, way down. Yeah. And the fact that they were up a tiny little glitch up this quarter to me means nothing. I mean nothing. It's random, it's a glitch, it's a blip in the data. If you asked me to predict how many people were going to take it in December or how many people were going to take it in February or how many people were going to take it next year, I swear to God I would tell you I have no idea. I have no idea. There is no trend. So I'm going to have to disagree with you on the, okay. the statement that there's no trend, but I, I totally agree with your point about the last 30 years. So if you look at these, the last 30 years, like you were saying, all the way back to about 1987, the range is anywhere from 30,000 to, what, 53,000? Oh, 60,000. No, 60,000 in wow. 2009, 2010. Yeah, yeah so 2009, 2010 was the peak. We had 60,000. And 30,000, which is the lowest, I guess it's like 31,000, but right around 31,000, which is the lowest, was last year. And this is 7% higher than last year, but it's still at the bottom of the barrel. It's the second lowest in 40 years? No, 30 years. The second lowest in 30 years. Yeah. So but it's higher than last year, so woohoo, we're on the upswing. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so when you say there's no trend, I'm going to have to disagree with that because when I look back at 2009, which was the peak, you had a 20%. So these are I'm just all I'm looking at is the the positive versus negative. So okay. leading up to that the high point, which was the October test in 2009, I guess, um, 60,000 people took the test, and that was an increase. The next uh, test after that was an increase. And then in February of 2010, you see a drop. And then you see a drop. Well, you see a 1% increase the next thing. But that, after that, it's basically negative, 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 all the way down to February of 2014. Mm -hmm. And even that, it's only a 1% increase. And then you see negative, negative. So basically, I feel like, Everything has been dropping, and that's, you know, it's, whatever it was, it then got lower, and then it got lower again. So it's not like it's going up and down at all. And so it's been going down for the last four years. And then starting in, I guess, what is it, December of 2014, you have positive, 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 positive. So the last four data points have been going up, whereas the, the ones before that were pretty much universally all going down. So I feel like there is some sort of trend here, but it's just not very, it's just the very beginning of anything which may end, but I wouldn't say it's nothing. Yeah, you can read into it if you want. Uh, to me, I just don't, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'll just put it that way. I, <laughs> I would, if we were betting about next year, I would not make any bet. I mean, I just don't. You know, um, your 99-year-old grandfather's health has been declining, 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 declining. 
And then one day, boy, he feels really good today. And the next day he feels good too. Oh, so is he going to start reversing in age now? I mean, no. It doesn't... It, it just, I mean, and I'm not saying that law school is like your 99-year-old grandfather. <laughs> I'm not saying that the whole legal career is dying. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I just don't know one way or the other. I just don't know anything. All I know is... Uh, for myself, you know, if I was investing or whatever, I just don't look at these, I just don't look at the short-term data, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like the kind of investor who just, like, puts money, I just buy, I just buy stock and things I believe in, and I just hold it forever and never, ever look at it again. And, um, you know, like Warren Buffett-style kind of investing. So these short-term little blips of data... Um, they might be fun to look at or fun to talk about or whatever, but I just don't think they have to mean anything at all. Um, sure, they're up. Yeah, I mean, it's looking like 2015, 2016 is a better year than 2014, 2015. But, but beyond that, I wouldn't really say anything. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I just I look at this data, and it's basically like the last 17, 18 tests have dropped significantly. Mm -hmm. And then the last four have then stopped that dropping. We're mm -hmm. talking like dropping 16% and then 16% yeah. again. And I know, but the, like, that can't be sustainable, right? Like there, there are some people who are on the law school path from, from birth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like I never thought that it was going to drop to zero. But when okay. it went down and down and down and down and down and down and down, then it's like, well, yeah, I mean, eventually there's going to at least be kind of a floor. But the, this, these numbers, you know, it's not like it's up 50% all of a sudden. It's up, we're, we're up like, a, you know, single digits, right? Yeah. So that to me maybe just means that, if anything, it might mean something like, well, we've kind of found what the minimum is. Sure. So actually, I think we might agree on that because I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, now it's going to go up and up okay. and up and up. All I'm saying is that I think something has happened here. Okay. And maybe what this is is we've reached the, the bottom of the barrel, and now things are kind of stabilizing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that could be. It, and, but then, like, we can't predict the news, right? Mm -hmm. So it could also be that there um, you know, new studies come out showing how miserable people are as lawyers and how people have still inflated expectations of how much money they're going to make, mm -hmm. which is true. And the, you know, um, <laughs> other better opportunities might arise in the world besides uh, lawyering. And the numbers could fall even further than what they've already fallen. Yeah. Right? I mean, we can't, we just can't, or, or it could do the exact opposite of that. It's just, we just can't, we just can't predict. I think you're. I think you're right. I think when you're looking at just like this year and next year, which is most relevant to us, I think we're more likely to be correct in saying that the numbers are going to be really low because they're not going to astronomically right. jump like a hundred percent, right? And they're probably not going to drop maybe much more. But even if they did, that would actually be good news for you. So no matter what, this is good news still for people who are applying this year or next year because it's not going to go astronomically higher, probably, almost certainly. Uh, although there's, like you said, you can never know for sure. But, yeah. Um, so even if things are going up, you're still looking at really, really low numbers, which yeah. is bad for law schools, good for you. 
Yeah, totally. It's a buyer's market. We absolutely agree that it's a buyer's market. Um, last year was the best year to apply since 1987. This year is going to be the best year to apply since 1987, except for last year. <laughs> and even this year is going to be, you know, pretty much the same, right? Yeah. It's, we're still like 50% of in applications. We're still just barely over 50% of where we were in 2009, 2010, yeah. which was the ridiculous peak of, uh, of way too many people going to law school all at once. Yeah. So, um, you know, the problem is that all of those people, I mean, because it was a big peak. It was a big, long peak from 2001 through 2011, I guess. Mm -hmm. If you look at that data, there was a big, long peak of like, 50,000 per year average yeah. going to law school. And um, the problem is that way too many of those people are still young lawyers um, just, you know, a year out or a few years out and super hungry and trying to climb the same ladder that you're trying to climb. And, um, you know, a lot of those people have, have given up um, because it's, because it was so impossible for people to find jobs. But a lot of them are still out there. And so even though the numbers in law school are down, it's a good time to go to law school, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a good time to graduate from law school a few years from now. Yeah. Right? Like, we're talking about two totally different things now. We're talking about, absolutely, if you want to get into a good law school, if you want to get scholarship money, right now is a great time. But we're not predicting what kind of job prospects you're going to have a few years from now, because you you got to look at that wave of of people that are four or five or six years ahead of you who are all you know still scrapping for the same jobs that you're going to be trying to get. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, that's it. Cool. All right. So that's that. It is a great year to apply. People always ask, "What about next year?" You know, and I would just say, I have no idea. It's 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 probably still going to be, these things don't tend to change like super quickly, right? Yeah. So it's probably going to still be a good year to apply, but how do we know? How do we know? So um, the last thing is a bunch of stats that you've uh, found, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people might find this to be super boring, but for episode 50, I, I, I just wanted to say, you know, kind of by way of thanking all of our listeners, I mean. Sure. And I really do mean that. Like we 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 get we love the emails that we get from you, um, shout outs on social media and that sort of thing. I mean, it makes us like super happy when you tell a friend to listen to the podcast. That's just the best thing that you could do for us. Um, but we we get. I, I mean, I speak for myself, but I think you feel the same way, Ben. We get um, a lot of satisfaction out of. Um, you guys listening and um, keeping in touch with us and supporting the show. So just thank you so much for um, for all of that. But uh, I thought that maybe the listeners would like to hear a little bit about the Thinking LSAT Nation uh, or Thinking LSAT World, um, as it were. So we have now um, gotten... I'll just read off some stats. Sure. We have had 109,000 total episodes downloaded. So it's kind of funny to think about it, but if each episode is over an hour, right, sometimes an hour and a half, mm -hmm. that means that there is 
virtually there has been virtually 109,000 hours plus worth of our bullshit <laughs> out there <laughs> downloaded polluting people's phones and computers I'm and sorry. ears we yeah apologize <laughs> we'll apologize for that um but no i mean thank you I, we never would have imagined that there would be this many hours of us out there in the world so i thought that was pretty cool yeah. Um, each new episode, I looked at episode, um, 48, which is the last one that I have stats on. And, uh, it was downloaded, um, about 1500 times and it's been out for about a month. Okay. And that, that's about how many times, um, the, each new episode gets listened to is or gets downloaded is 1500 times. So, you know, the listenership has to be quite a bit lower than that. I do know some people listen to the episodes more than once. Um, I don't know why you would do that, but some people do. And um, yeah, that's both, it sounds low and it sounds high at the same time, right? Like to think that there might be a thousand people plus who are like waiting for these new episodes to come out yeah, is awesome. That's super cool that we can reach an audience that's that big. And then also it's, I know that like compared to, you know, bigger podcasts and whatnot, it's like just a tiny little minuscule audience really <laughs> um, but it is like i was just thinking also like comparing it to the the lsat um there were 101,000 lsats taken last year yeah and we now have 109,000 episodes that have been downloaded so um for every for every test that gets taken last year there there has been an episode that's downloaded which is kind of interesting. So we might be, yeah, we're getting out there, right? There are still yeah. so many people that don't know about the show, though. It's amazing. Like, I have people in my class that are like, what, you have a podcast? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, definitely um, tell, please tell a friend. You've got anybody that you know that's studying for the LSAT. Please uh, try, to, try to share the word. Just grab their phone and go in the podcast app and subscribe. Yeah. Yeah, well, show cool. them how to listen to it, too. Um, the, the stats say that we have uh, been downloaded at least once in 111 countries. Wow. Which is shocking. Uh, many of those countries we were downloaded only exactly once. Uh, <laughs> over 50% of our downloads come from the United States. Okay. But the rest of the top 10, um, Canada, there's a pretty significant listenership in Canada. Hmm. Uh, so we have a bunch of very friendly people listening to us. So hello. Okay. Yeah. Uh, third place is China. Then we have Republic of Korea, Germany, UK, Japan, India, Australia. None of those particularly surprise me because I've definitely um, spoken to people who are studying for the LSAT in all of those countries. Mm -hmm. And then coming in at number 10, uh, apparently we have a couple dedicated listeners in Ghana, which hmm. I would not have um, really predicted would be on the list so no hello around the world and thank you for listening to the thinking else that podcast we think that's really cool yeah yeah um top 10 states i'm not sure this will be interesting uh california new york texas district of columbia is in there on this it's states and territories but mm. district of columbia is fourth uh virginia florida illinois maryland pennsylvania is 10th place. And then I also put on here last place, which is predictably Alaska. I know that I talked shit about Mississippi um, on one of the earlier episodes, 
I'll, I'll still talk shit about Mississippi because we have now, I looked at the, the exact number for Mississippi right now is 55. There have been 55 downloads in the entire state of Mississippi. So okay. Either we just don't have distribution down there or there are just not a lot of people going to law school hmm. in, in Mississippi. Um, but there, are, there were some lower numbers than that as well, mostly in small places, like places that just don't have population. Um, so Wyoming, uh, North Dakota. I think places that were, have buffalo instead. Right, exactly. Buffalo are not listening to the podcast. Hmm. Um, those places I would expect to have very low listenership. Vermont was really low. I guess Vermont's just a tiny state, hmm. so that, that could be why. Although I think Vermont's a pretty like well-educated state. So if you have a friend in Vermont, please get them on the podcast. Yeah. And Mississippi, too. Mississippi has this, like decent population, I would have thought, but I guess it's just pretty rural and not really thinking about going to law school. Hmm. Now, California is number one. I guess uh, that's mostly your family. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's my it's definitely not my friends because they're like, dude, I'm not going to listen to that bullshit. But no, my mom, <laughs> my mom definitely listens um, sometimes. So hi, mom, if you're listening. Uh, yeah. And then I have family in California too, but I don't know if they listen. I would oh. be really surprised if they did actually. Like, I don't know how this would be at all relevant to them or, you know. I don't know how it's at all relevant to my mom other than she just wants to... So your mom does actually listen to the show? Yeah, every once in a while she she'll send me an email like or 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 something mention something that happened on the show. Uh, uh, sometimes to tell to me to like stop when you get a new co-host or whatever. <laughs> no, no, no one has ever said that. To me. No. <laughs> it's People okay. are like, "Why don't you let Ben talk more?" <laughs> um anyway, I don't know, anything else you want to add to to that? Or any reflections from uh from 50 episodes deep? Uh, no, my only thought right now is that it's really valuable to talk about the LSAT with you and also, of course, in class and everything like that. And so I'm just thinking the random insights that I get even just today with this right. <laughs> episode and with other things makes me think that if you're just getting started in this, you should be talking to people about the LSAT find a study buddy like you've said before um you know they may not have the best ideas about how to approach a certain question or whatnot but the mere fact that you're talking about it and seeing questions in a different way than you might have thought about it before seems beneficial yeah totally i'm i i continue to be amazed i mean i took the lsat in february of 2007 so i'm you know coming up on a decade a year away i guess from a decade mm -hmm. of of teaching the LSAT. It's amazing how much I'm still learning about the way the test works, or at least at this point, it's more like learning about ways to teach the test. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's I boy, could you have ever imagined that it would actually be interesting to be talking about this shit <laughs> ten years after? When did you take the test? You took it before me, huh? Oh, I guess it must have been uh, two thousand two. Oh, God. Okay. So, yeah, you've been doing this for... Well, but you practiced for a while. When did you start teaching LSAT? 2007, 2008, okay. yeah. Oh, right okay. So we started teaching right at the exact same time then. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was teaching... Because, yeah, I started teaching in 2007, right after I took the test. I started oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, so you started teaching and then went to law school. Yeah, I, like, kind of stupidly... Because, yeah, my... My story was I was a GMAT teacher for PowerScore, and they needed an LSAT teacher. 
Yeah. Uh, so they they paid me like to prep for and take the LSAT, mm -hmm. and then I I immediately went in and started teaching LSAT classes and uh, loved it, and just didn't know what I, I had a day job at the time that I hated, and I just didn't know what I was doing with my life, and you know I had the like big LSAT score, and it was like well, and the kids were like oh well yeah you should go to law school oh man boy I would kill for your score yeah you should go to law school, and then I just stupidly did. <laughs> and I really mean that because it, I mean it just ended up being such a waste of time and waste of money and it really has not there I, I it is hard for me to think about like what benefit I have really gotten from from going to law school hmm. um, uh, you know I, I made some friends but uh, other than that it's not it's like people are always like well but you you know you but you have your own business isn't it so useful for that and I was like absolutely not <laughs> Done. There's yeah. no value whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm not bitter. Things have worked out pretty <laughs> well for me, <laughs> so I'm I'm definitely happy. But yeah, thank you, Ben, for um, for doing this and for spending all the time to to talk about this stuff. It's made me um, definitely a better teacher, and uh, and it's been fun along the way. Any um, how about well, let's do one of these super annoying things. Uh, any any um any thoughts for your future? You know, when we get to episode one hundred, what would you like to look back and and say? <laughs> oh, uh, so annoying. <laughs> it's hard to predict what will happen with the uh, number of students going to law school, but <laughs> I can say that after episode one hundred, I will have liked to have interviewed some celebrity outside of the LSAT world. Ooh. We should make that a goal, no? Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, that's actually, we can, I think we could use our listeners maybe, just so we can be lazy. Yeah. We could use our listeners to help us out with that. Like, if you know somebody who would be an interesting guest to have on the show, um, boy, a, um, I guess, like, um, a famous lawyer or... Yeah. Um, somebody who it's got to be like tangentially LSAT related doesn't it sure, or could we just sure. like I mean if you're J.J. Abrams and you want to come on the show and talk about the new Star Wars movie <laughs> by all means you know that would be pretty awesome come on the show yeah or whoever the dude is that made Ex Machina um yeah you you can come on the show for sure but if you really though if you know somebody if you've got a friend or or something um who you think would be a good guest on the show Absolutely, that'd be that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, that's would a good be idea. Cool. And you said somebody outside the LSAT world, so you mean like not an LSAT teacher or whatever? Yeah, we're boring. But like you, I mean, it could be anybody. But I was thinking um, now that you're talking about it, someone, uh, you know, you got all these attorneys who work on these pretty high-profile cases. Um, Ted Olson. Uh, who I've actually seen, um, this is creepy, I guess, to say this, but he uh, he works in the building that I park in. And so sometimes he drives out in his, I'm pretty sure he has a Mercedes. And I'm like, dude, that's Ted Olson. And I don't think uh, other people necessarily know who he is. But he's worked on some, he's a pretty high-powered attorney who's worked on a lot of Supreme Court cases and took on Prop 8 with uh, David Du Bois, I think, if okay. I'm remembering his name correctly. But anyways, there's a lot of attorneys who maybe are not famous in you know, the people magazine, <laughs> but, uh, would certainly be known or at least worth hearing from in the legal community. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, right. I mean, it, what do you think about just getting like attorneys generally on the show? Do you think the audience would like to hear from just attorneys generally? I don't know. Um, I guess we could always try it and see if, uh, yeah, see what yeah. people say. Or if you're listening, um, boy, we would really like to know what you think about that. So it's um, help at thinkinglsat.com. You can also tweet us at thinkinglsat. Is that it? Or thinkinglsat podcast? I don't even know. Uh, no, it's just thinking LSAT. So tweet us at thinking LSAT or email help at thinking LSAT.com and uh, give us any feedback about the show, including what you think about uh, our plan to have guests on. My roommate is a corporate immigration attorney, and I know that people are like super interested in um, immigration, particularly mm. right now. Yeah. So, um, and I think she would actually be a really great guest if I can get her. She works awful long hours, but I think she'd probably come on. So. Yeah. Tell me what you think about that, and if, if you give us some motivation, then we'll actually do something. Otherwise, we'll just continue taking a half hour to go through June 2007 <laughs> LSAT logical reasoning questions. <laughs> yep. All right. That's enough of our bullshit for today. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, likewise, cool. thanks to you, Nathan. It's been fun. So. Yeah, man. Thanks. Okay. Talk to you next time. Yeah, I think that's it. Talk to you later.